The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and uh, we're going to continue our study this morning on the judgment of the saints. And uh, we've looked at uh, several different things so far in this, in this particular uh, segment of our study. We talked about uh, how the Lord will examine at the judgment seat. He'll examine how we control the old man, the flesh that still dwells with us every day. And the flesh has been, <clears throat> it's important for us to remember, the flesh has been mortified, which means doesn't mean it's been put away. It means it's been limited. The power and authority of the flesh over us has been limited by the Lord so that we do not have to obey the lust of the flesh. If we do obey the flesh, it's because we choose to, not because we have to. Uh, we secondly looked at how the Lord will examine how we treat the brethren, how we treat one another. And uh, do we love one another? Do we pray for one another? Do we help one another? Uh, do, do we look to the needs of, of each other as, as we live our lives? Remember, a lot of times what the, Lord, the things the Lord gives us is not primarily for us, but to help those around us, to, to use uh, for the Lord. And, and we need to remember that. Thirdly, we looked at how we discharge our authority. And no matter who we are in this room, we have authority over someone. And um, uh, at the very least, we have authority over ourselves. And so the Lord will examine how we use the authority that we were given in our lives. Uh, we said, uh, fourthly, that he would look at how we use our talents, the many abilities he gives us. Do we use them for him? Do we use them for self, for personal gain? Uh, those kind of things. Fifthly, we were going to look at how we use our time. He's going to examine how we use the time that we have been allotted. And each of us have been given a predetermined amount of time. Uh, the Lord knows exactly when, when he will call you home. He knows exactly how much time he's given you. And he's given you work to do within that time. And he's given you sufficient time to do the work that he's called you to do. How you use that time... Will be, will be examined. And, and how many of the things he, he gave us to do, how many of the things he called us to do, will go undone because we squandered and wasted the time that he gave us. Uh, sixthly, we said that he will look at how we handle trials. And, and we all face trials. I, I said in that lesson, you're either in a trial now, you've just come through a trial, or there's one right around the corner. But uh, you're in one of those three stages. Uh, Jesus said that uh, offenses must needs come and we will face trials. But how do we react and how do we respond to those trials? Uh, the Lord is going to look at that. Do we, live, do we face those trials and endure those trials in faith? Or, or do we doubt God? Do we, do we fail God in those times? He's going to look at all of that. We look, uh, number seven, and how we run our race for Christ. And... Uh, each of us have our own race. I can't run yours, you can't run mine. 
throughout our course of our lives, our paths may come together for a short while, but then at some point they'll, they'll we'll go different ways, and your path will take your race will take you one way, my race will take me another, and and we have to be diligent in that race. We have to we have to run our race every day. We when we wake up in the morning, it's it's a new day, and we need to face the, all the things that we have to face that day. Uh, we we can't rely on yesterday's successes, or we can't be hindered by yesterday's failures. We need to face each day fresh and anew. So now it brings me to today's lesson. And uh, number eight on our study sheets, the Lord will examine how faithful we are to God's word. How faithful we are to God's word. Let's, uh, let's pray before we go any farther. Father, thank you for this day. I pray you'd uh, help me to speak the things you want me to speak. And bless us today and, and edify us. Build us up so that we can Better live for and serve you. Thank you, Lord, for all that are here. Bless this time now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Uh, Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom cometh uh, out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going is from the end of the heaven and his uh, circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering, and doctrine. One of the key elements of any system of interaction is communication. Without communication, there can be no unity of purpose. Without communication, there can be no harmony of function. Now, we know this uh, in every aspect of our lives. Communication is essential. Uh, on the job, uh, be, the ability to communicate to the employees the purpose and the intention of, 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 the, of the leadership. Uh, without that communication, lines of communication, it would be impossible to accomplish anything. In a marriage, it's the same thing. In a marriage, unless the lines of communication between the husband and the wife are, are intact and, 
and, and are being utilized, uh, there'll, be, there'll be a lot of contention, to say the least. It's the same way with parents and children. We communicate our expectations to our children. If, if we fail to do that, uh, then, then they will not know what direction we expect them to take. It's the same way in every aspect of our life. Communication is essential. Uh, let's turn together to Genesis chapter 11. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter number 11. And we have an example of how important communication is found in Scripture. Genesis chapter 11. And let's read the first nine verses. You read along with me. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east uh, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and, uh, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for, uh, brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the intent uh, which the children of men, uh, I'm sorry, in the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have uh, imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build a city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord said, the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all of the earth. So we see here this, this example of the Lord confounding the languages, and what happened is men were no longer able to communicate. <clears throat> they could no longer speak to one another because their languages had been, had been con- their communication had been severed by the Lord. This led to confusion, frustration, and ultimately it led to them separating and going in different directions. Without communication, misunderstandings are inevitable. Without clear communication. I read a story, it's a very uh, cute story. This story deals with a rather old-fashioned lady who was planning a couple of weeks vacation in Florida. She was also quite delicate and elegant with her language. She wrote a letter to a particular campground and asked for reservations. She She wanted to make sure the campground was fully equipped, but didn't know quite how to ask about the toilet facilities. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her letter. After much deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term, bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought she was being too forward. So, she started all over again, rewrote the entire letter, and referred to the bathroom commode simply as the B.C. Does the campground have its own B.C., she wrote. Uh, Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all. And when he got the letter, he could not figure out what the lady was talking about. 
this B.C. really stumped him. After worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to other campers, but they could not figure out what the lady meant either. The campground owner finally came to the conclusion that the lady must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. So he sat down and wrote the following reply. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away if you are in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. <laughs> and it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we went there. It may interest you to know that right now there is a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the B.C. so everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time you go, sit with you, and introduce you to all the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. Now, the lack of adequate communication in this story led to much confusion. And the same is, is true across America today in our, in our churches. So many religions are, are out of sync with the word of God. They adhere to the Koran or to the Watchtower, to the Book of Mormons or the Catholic Catholic catechism or something such as that. All of these communications uh, have different messages and thereby confuse the masses of people. But today, you and I hold the one true communication from God. And what we do with this word from God will be a subject of review at the judgment seat of Christ. So given this truth, what are we to do with the word of God? How are we to handle God's word? Well, of course, it would be a very exhaustive list of things we should do, but I want to focus on just a few things this morning, so I'll share these with you. Letter A on your study sheet. First, let me say that we should love God's law. We should love God's law. The Bible is, is more than just a book. The Bible is life. The word of God is life. It imparts life. It inspires life. And the, we should love God's law. Psalm 119, verses 166 to 168, the, psalm, the psalmist writes, Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Um, did you see, did you, you hear the expression from the psalmist, 
when he says, I love them exceedingly. You know, as I observe Christianity in, in, in America today, I, I must wonder how many professing Christians still truly love the Word of God. I mean, many believers today sure do not act like they love God's Word. And I'm sure you would agree with me on that. If we observe, and, and I'm not talking about observe the world. We know the world does not love God's law. I'm talking about people who profess to be believers. And yet we observe them. And, and it's hard to, many times it's hard to look at people and say they really must love the, the word of God. Uh, well, I could stop right here, go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we could examine uh, all the attributes of love, but we don't have time for that this morning. Uh, so I'm going to try to encapsulate all that I want to say by, by, by two things concerning loving God's law. Or three things, I'm sorry. First, I want to say that love compels us. Love compels us. Now, to compel means to drive forcibly. If you're going to compel someone to do something, you, you push them, you, you, you drive them, and, and you exert force and energy in that. Now, love causes us to do things we otherwise would not do. Uh, we are compelled into action, forced into action, if you will, by love. Uh, so it is with the Word of God. When we love God's Word, we are driven. We are driven by the Word of God to love, honor, and obey Christ and obey the Father. We are, we are driven by it. Everyone who is married understands this. You husbands here today, you do things for your wife you otherwise wouldn't do because you love her. And the same thing with the wife. You do things for your husband that you otherwise would not do because, why? Because he gives you a paycheck or because he brings money home? No, 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 no. It's because you love him. Love compels us. I've done things for my wife over the years I would never want to do. But I do them because I love her. And she asks me to do them, and so I'm going to do them for her because I love her. And the same thing is true for her to me. Parents understand this. You parents here, you do things for your children because you love them. You, things you normally probably wouldn't do. You do them because you love them. We do things for love's sake, love's sake that we otherwise would not do. And the love of God compels us. Compels us to, to obey the law of God, to obey the word of God and do those things. But not only does love compel us, but secondly, love constrains us. Now, to constrain means to limit or to restrict. Just as love causes us to do things we otherwise would not do, love also prevents us from doing things we would do. So my love for the my love for the Word of God, it, 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 it compels me. It compels me to, 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 to do things in my life that I wouldn't otherwise do. And it constrains me. It, it holds me back. It keeps me from, from succumbing to the flesh. It keeps me from doing things that I ought not do. We as, as believers are made free from the letter of the law. 
But we are bound by the spirit of the law. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now that can sound confusing, but what it really comes down to is this. We are set free from the letter of the law and are enabled to live our life according to the spirit of the law. See, the law was, the law was written, as pastors teaching on Sunday mornings, the law was written to provide us a standard. The Lord said, herein is righteousness. Here is righteousness personified by the Ten Commandments. But alas, the flesh is weak and we cannot follow the Ten Commandments, can we? That's why we're in trouble to begin with. So, salvation has enabled us. It's empowered us. And has made it possible that we can live our lives according to the spirit of the law. And, and, and that spirit of the law constrains us from, from doing things against the Father. Oh, we fall occasionally. We fail at times in our life, but thank God we have, a, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus the Lord, that we can come and confess our faults before God and be cleansed of our sin and empowered afresh that we might live according to the righteousness that is in the law, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ Jesus, which is imputed to us at salvation. I, I used to refer to it to my high school students as, as being inoculated. Uh, you know, you, when I was a boy, we went, we went to the doctor and we got, we got vaccines. We got shots against childhood diseases. We were inoculated against those things that would corrupt us. And when we get saved, we, we, we are, in a sense, we are infused with the DNA of Christ. We, we now have the nature of Christ within us, and we are enabled and empowered to live in his righteousness. Not our righteousness, but his. In other words, I said all that to say this. We don't obey God because we have to. We obey God because we have been empowered to. So, if you have a good day and you walk in righteousness that day, don't, don't look in the mirror and say, you did a good job today. No, you didn't do anything. Christ did it all. And he's empowered us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Again, he wrote in verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And not everything that we sometimes do edifies, builds up the body, builds up the character, and, and it helps those around us.
Listen, let me just say this. You cannot find happiness in disobedience. Uh, any stage of your life, you cannot find happiness if you're living in disobedience. You won't be happy on your job if you're disobedient. You won't be happy in your marriage if you're disobedient. You won't be happy in your relationship with your, with your children or children with your parents if you're disobedient. We must learn to obey. The love granted us by God constrains us and will not allow us to rebel against God. So love compels us, it constrains us, and then thirdly, love conquers us. Love conquers us. We are brought under control by our love. For love's sake, the mightiest man on earth can be brought into subjection. Doesn't matter how strong you think you are, how great you think you are, the love of one little girl can bring you down like melted butter. And if we love God, then we will be submissive to his authority. We will be submissive to his word. Don't say you love God if you're disobedient to him. Don't say that. Just say, I don't obey God. If you, if you, Jesus said, if you love me, what did he say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Yes. So, we see that love compels us, it constrains us, and it conquers us. But not only are we to love God's law, but secondly this morning, we are to delight in its discovery. We're to delight in its discovery. It's Psalm 1. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, there are two thoughts that come to mind here. First, we rejoice in the allocation. We rejoice in the allocation of God's word. Now, to allocate is, uh, allocation is a portion of a resource assigned to a particular recipient. Uh, this implies the grace bestowed upon us in salvation. It is not something that we gain through our efforts. Rather, it is something we came into possession of by the divine will of God. In Titus, Paul writes, but that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, as he saved us, but according to his own will and purpose. And we are now joint heirs with Christ. We, we have been allocated, or, or, or the resources of God have been allocated to you and I by virtue of his grace and mercy. We delight this morning in the knowledge of our salvation and that we were allotted, and that we were allotted through the grace of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit 
and belief of the truth. Yes, we salvation and eternal life, grace, mercy have been allocated to us, specifically to you, by God. But then also this morning, uh, when we talk about delighting in the discovery of the word of God, secondly, we rejoice in the acquisition. Now, to acquire means to gain as a result of one's behavior or activities. So, we understand this morning that we cannot, by any effort of our, of our own, we cannot gain salvation. We understand that, right? We're all in agreement on that this morning. None of us can do anything to earn salvation. We cannot, we cannot gain salvation. It was allocated. It was given to us. By God the Father. So we understand that. But we also understand that by our effort, we grow in grace. We gain knowledge in, in the Word of God. It's, by, it's by, by your efforts you're going to grow. And you're going to increase in knowledge and understanding. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. By our study, we gain knowledge. By our study, we gain confidence in God. By this, we become better equipped to serve God and to help those around us. By our, by our study, by our efforts, by our work and and, and, and digging into the word and meditating upon the word of God, we, we gain the ability to help those. That's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, where he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter says, Be equipped. Sanctify God in your heart. Make, make, God's word, the most important thing in your life. Study it. Know it. Understand it. Be prepared to, to help those around you. <laughs> Be prepared to give God's word. You know, I, I, I work in a secular environment. And people are always shouting out, saying, Jesus, or, oh God, or things like that, you know, and one of the guys that sits next to me, he did that the other day, and I said, you ought not do that. And he looked at me, he said, what? I said, you ought not do that. You ought not evoke the name of God in vain. And I, I explained to him what the scriptures say. He said, I always thought that meant cursing. I said, no, that doesn't mean cursing. God's name is so reverent and so profound and so holy. We don't speak it unless we're praising or worshiping him. He said, I never knew that. I said, well, now you do. Be ready to give an answer, folks. People, you're going to encounter people all the time, and in their ignorance, they do things that they shouldn't do. And, and we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. We need to, we need to study, and, and, and we need to under, we need to do all these. Now, again, we understand the sanctification of the soul is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. However, the sanctification of the heart is a synergistic work between you and the Holy Spirit. 
So we love his law. We delight in his discovery. But then thirdly, we hold them in hope. Letter C, hold in, in hope. In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I not be ashamed. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. The President of the United States ordered me to break through the Japanese lines and proceed from Corregidor to Australia for the purpose, as I understand it, of organizing the American offensive against Japan, a primary objective of which is the relief of the Philippines. I came through, and I shall return. These were the words of General Douglas MacArthur as he left the Philippine Islands during World War II. This simple phrase, I shall return, became the hope of every man, woman, and child on the Philippine Islands. They waited every day with hope for his return. Now, as we read just a moment ago, the, the psalm clearly states that his hope is in the word of God. And in this word, you and I also can hope today. For not one word of God's word shall fail. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Think not I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Oh yes, we have hope today in the word of God. We know, or at least we should know, that it will never fail. And because we know this, we have the courage to hold fast those things that we have been taught. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to love God's law, and we are to delight in the discovery of God's law, and we are to hope in them. Paul said, let us hold fast to our profession of faith, because we have a sure hope. We have the promise of God in his word. Listen, Douglas MacArthur promised the Filipino people he would return, and they held on to that promise, and they endured because of that promise. The promise of a fallible man. So shall we as God's children not be able to hold on to the promises he has given us in faith and endure this life? Praising and honoring and glorifying him. You, might, you, you could be the most successful man in the world today. You could, you could be the head of the greatest corporation in, in the world. But if you do not have faith in God, you have nothing. You have nothing. Because my purpose in life is to praise and worship and honor God. Not to become a CEO or to own a 20-room a mansion or, or to drive the most expensive car on the face of the earth or 
to have the authority over people's lives. That's not my purpose. And by the way, it's not yours either. If you're a child of God, what is your purpose? To glorify him in all things. And to be content with the things that the Lord gives you. You know, this isn't in my lesson. I shouldn't go there, but I'm going to go there. I listen to people all the time complain about what they don't have. You ever hear that, Brian? You ever have people complain to you about what they don't have? Oh, you know, I wish I had this, or I don't have this, or I'm not happy because I don't have this. <clears throat> hey, how about just rejoicing in the things we do have? Huh? Salvation. A loving family. Uh, children's kind of a stretch, but I guess we can rejoice in that. A church where the word of God is taught in boldness and truth. Friends. That God has given us. We, we, you know, people are negative. We focus on what we don't have more than we do on what we do have. And if you, t- if you stop and start taking stock of what you do have, you'll, you'll be happy. I promise you, you will. You'll be happy. Because we have so much. And God has given us so much. So, we're to, uh, we're to hold the word of God in hope. And then lastly... We're to proclaim them in power. (laughs) Proclaim them in power. Psalm 119. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy uh, commandments are righteousness. Let thine hand help me for I have chosen thy precepts. Quite simply stated, we're to proclaim the word of God to everyone we meet. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in an accepted time, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Isaiah 49, 8. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage. There's never a wrong time, there's never a wrong place, and there's never a wrong person to proclaim the word, unto whom to proclaim the word of God. We are to proclaim God's word in power to all people that we meet. The word of God should be on our tongue at all times. And we should take every opportunity to praise him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge thee... Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The time is now and the place is where you are. And the person is every creature. I'm going to share this with you real quickly and then I'll be done. Long time ago, 33 years, maybe 34 years ago, I had I had a friend of my father's. His name was Sam Penasaw. He was elderly, and Sam, I, I knew Sam. He was a drinker, and and I used to drive past his house every Saturday when I go visit my bus route, and I drive past it again every Saturday evening on my way home. And one day, as I was driving, I just the Holy Spirit just impressed on my heart. Go stop by and see Sam and witness to Sam. 
And as I drove by, I reasoned in my mind and said, ah, Sam's not interested. He wouldn't listen to this. And I drove on by. On the way home, again, the same Go in and see Sam. I didn't do it. Week after week after week after week until finally the urge to go see Sam went away. And I forgot all about it. And one day I walked into my parents' house and was pouring a cup of coffee and Mama said, hey, did you hear about Sam? I said, no, what, what about Sam? She said, he, he died. She said they found him on his kitchen floor with a bottle next to him and he was dead. Now, let me just say, my not witnessing to Sam didn't send him to hell, okay? That, that was already, that, that's in the hand of God. However, it doesn't alleviate me from my responsibility to be a witness unto Sam, to proclaim God's word to him, and I didn't do it. And you know what? That's haunted me for 33 years. And I know one day he'll stand before God. And he'll look over, and I, I almost know he'll see me, and he'll, he'll think, why didn't you tell me something? Listen, we're, we're to proclaim the word of God. Even if it's uncomfortable, if it's difficult, we're to proclaim the word of God to everyone we meet. All right, folks, I went over. You can tell how sorry I am. We're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.